Hello and welcome to, to Let Me Pull You to Sleep with the sound of Vinny being annoying in the background. Why are you whining? You weren't whining before, now you're whining. What are you whining for? Why? Why? You just been out. And now you now you're whining. It's something about me sitting at this desk. If I sat at the other desk, he wouldn't bother me. Seriously, he wouldn't be bothered at all. But sitting at this desk, he doesn't like it. Oh man. Sounds like I've got a big office. I, I don't. I just got two desks. Nothing on it, just a desk. No furniture, no television, no walls or ceiling, just two desks. No floor, <laughs> just two desks. Uh, that's just, uh, that was just silly, wasn't it? I don't know why I said that. So, hello, uh, this is Let Me Boy You To Sleep. My name's Jason Newland. Please only listen when you can safely close your eyes. Now, Vinny, stop it. I haven't got a bone to give him. And there's not a lot I can do about that, because I can't give him what I don't have. It's kind of obvious, but he doesn't seem to agree with me. Sometimes, if I give him a bone, he's happy for the day. For the day, for the hour rather. For the day? Blimey. Well, I just took a quick, quick break there. Looked around to see if there's any spare little bones. They're not proper bones there. I don't know what they are, but they're shaped in the shape of a bone. Shaped in the shape of a bone-like shaped object. But there ain't nothing around. So I got him a yogurt. He likes he like he actually really likes yogurts. So I've given him a yogurt pot. Just you know, a little yogurt. So he's eating that. Um Yeah, so today I've been quite productive. Quite productive. <laughs> da, 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 da. This is the third recording I've made today. I know. I, I, I know, I know. So, wow, I know you're thinking, wow. So I did a deep sleep whisper recording. Uh, let's have a look. It's so long ago, I forget what it was. Forgetting? Forget it. Deep Sleep Whisper Hot Air Balloon. So that's number 505. I did a chronic pain hypnosis session for back pain. There's two to be released. There's still two more to be released. So they're one at 10 o'clock and one at midnight. It's now 22 minutes past eight. So yeah, so I've done a few... I would say it's a fairly productive day. Kind of. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I, yeah, I'd say. I'd say it's productive. And part of the reason that I'm making the chronic pain hypnosis sessions. I've started uh, looking in, well, I've made two this week, I think. There's a couple of reasons. The main reason is that's kind of where my passion still is. That's where I started all those years ago. And... 
in fact, I I started the free pain relief service in my local area in 2004, but nobody was interested, and in I didn't get any interest until 2006. So I was promoting it for two years before I even got anyone shown an interest. And it's the, I guess the two things. I suppose because I wasn't interested in relaxation. I was, but I wasn't. I was, but never that bothered about sleep hypnosis or making sleep recordings like when I started out because other than a few occasions in my life, I've never really had much of an issue sleeping. If anything, I'm the opposite. I'm a bit too sleepy, if you know what I mean. I'd, you know, there's be there has been times when I couldn't sleep, and I've had, you know, there has been those those times, but not anything like long term. So I guess I didn't really relate to it. I didn't. Um, I didn't see the value. I didn't didn't really understand the value that making recordings that may help people to sleep, to relax and to sleep. I didn't really I didn't understand that that would be that that was even. I did understand it was a thing, but it just wasn't something that I was particularly interested in. And back then, you know, 2004, basically you'd buy CDs, you know, sleep hypnosis CDs, and it'd be like a famous hypnotist that would do it. And, you know, you could buy stuff online, but there wasn't anything to stream as far as I know. Although I didn't really search. And it was only really when I started posting videos on MySpace, I did a pain relief recording video and I did a relaxation session, a video. And I think maybe I did a sleep as well. But I, I was really focused on the pain relief. But the pain relief recording was very similar really to the relaxation session. Because something I discovered quite early on when I was actually seeing people face to face who had chronic pain issues is relaxation always in my experience in those record in not, not recordings in those sessions in my experience relaxing the person always reduced the pain sensation now of course you can't i mean i everybody i saw told me that it helped them everybody um, but it doesn't mean that some people say yeah but they might have been lying true true it's possible I like to think that well of course I like to think that they weren't but I did get quite a few testimonials from people but along the way not only did I discover that relaxation helped to reduce the pain, even without any kind of uh, pain reduction technique, I also I had quite a, quite a crash course in relaxing people, dealing with 
quite extreme anxiety and it was what was it I had one three people that didn't come to me for chronic pain they were referred to me from a friend a couple of friends who no four people that the, the I've probably to, I have told these stories before but I'll tell them again because I didn't make them boring enough last time I mean this is kind of like my origin story although to have my real origin story we need to go back to 1970 or nine months before my birthday maybe so I I was telling my friends, a couple of friends and people that I knew, I'm going to help people with chronic pain, I'm going to help people using hypnosis, even though my experience with hypnosis was just training courses and reading books and watching videos. I had quite an extensive library, but really very little experience and I didn't expect anyone to really take me seriously but suddenly suddenly life has good reason to be a beauty up above and you know right above Wake up suddenly You're in love Each day I pray It's like okay, I'll stop um, I don't remember Oh yeah, the first one I had was The first one, the first person It was my friend's friend And she wanted to She had a driving test but it was to be a driving instructor. And she'd already failed twice, some, something like that, and she only had one more chance to take the test. I don't know if she had to wait two years before she could start again, I don't know. But she, she was having the test on the Tuesday. She came round my house on the Friday. I was her last option, her last you know, I'd never met her. Had I met her before? I don't think I had met her before. And she she came round with my friend. So my friend sat in the room with me as with us as well. And I had no idea what I was going to do. Now her whole career. In her mind, her whole career was on the line. And she she didn't feel confident that she was going to pass due to having already failed twice. Maybe three times, I don't know, however many times it was. And she had plans. She wanted to have her own business and everything, you know. Well, I've, I don't want to say I blagged it. I did what I could. I just had to be creative and um, I don't want to say make it up as I went along because that sounds uh, probably a bit disrespectful towards her and it wasn't like that I was using my knowledge but not my experience and Well, the, the she we did the session. It was an hour and a half, two hours. She had her eyes closed for, and she passed. So her issue was anxiety about the test, uh, lack of confidence, all that stuff. She passed like really easily. She said. And she felt confident. So not like she didn't feel confident before going in. Um, she she felt before going in. She felt 
that our session had helped, that you know, prepared her. And she she passed, and she went on to work for a one of the major driving instructor schools, pretty much straight away. And then she she did start her own business within about a year, I think, a year or two. And at one point, she started sending some of her patients, not patients, her students to me to prepare them for their driving test. So, but I did that and I I got a little bit all myself, so I had to stop doing that. That's when I stopped doing the pain relief with people. But I did continue to do the... the group sessions that I did at the alcohol and drug rehab places. I continued that until October 2007. Anyway, so, so I, she was my very first real kind of challenge from a hypnosis perspective. And I thought, it's got to get easier from here. Because it was hard. I didn't really know what I was doing. I did, but I didn't, but I did, but I didn't, if you know what I mean. I just... How much can you learn from books? Well, quite a lot, apparently. <laughs> quite a lot. But experience does... It goes a fair way also. And I didn't, I didn't have that. So... I felt good, I was quite up and buzzing, especially after hearing that she passed. And I thought, okay, perhaps I'll retire now. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, I think that's enough. I don't know if I wanted to, you know, it was, there was, it wasn't easy. And then, my friend, a different friend, called me up and said, oh, I've got a, I've given your number, or can I give, can, oh, can I give you a number to call? There's a lady who needs, she needs to go into hospital on Monday. This is another, like, short, like, very quick turnaround, in a sense. Uh, she needs to go to hospital she didn't tell me really hardly anything about it, but she, she's anxious and she needs, she wants help. So I said, okay. So I went round her house, I phoned her up, went round her house. If I'd have gone round her house before phoning, that might have been weird. So walk in and I just turn the light on. I understand you need help. And anyway, she, we, it turned out that she needed so yeah, she needed a double lung transplant and basically she hadn't been able to set foot in hospital to have the tests to see whether or not she was able to have the operation so that she could be put on the donor list, the transplant list. And she, again, she was told, it's very, it's not similar, but it was like a last option. She was told by the surgeon or specialist that if she didn't turn up this time, she'd just be disregarded. Because they'd given her multiple appointments to go to hospital. And it was like a two-day thing. So it wasn't just like a pop-in for ten minutes. It was quite uh, rig vigorous, rigorous or whatever, testing. And she she couldn't set foot into the hospital on multiple occasions and they said this is your last chance if you don't set foot in the hospital if you don't come in and do the tests then you'll just be taken off you'll be put into the bottom of the list and we're not going to put any more effort into it I'm not sure if that was quite the wording but she was concerned and worried obviously so again I turned up I didn't know what I was walking into not that it was a trap. I mean, she didn't have a big piece of cheese and I walk in and suddenly um, my leg's trapped. and so It wasn't anything like that. 
but she it just was sitting in this darkened room it had a light on but it was just very she she didn't seem like she liked me very much right from the start and she was on oxygen and everything and like she's just, just not that was relevant to it but I she just didn't seem to take to me and my first few things that I tried with her were falling flat completely flat I'm talking she got to the point after about 20 minutes of just looking at me like this isn't working you might as well go now what you may not know about me is I don't give up I do not ever ever quit a situation like that I would still be there now if it was you know I just don't I won't I won't quit I don't know why I just can't seem to I got in trouble when I was doing sales and I was my sales manager said even though I was good at sales and I was one of the top people um, especially in the first sales the first two sales jobs they said the manager said like you're like a dog with a bone you just won't give it up once you you know with with a uh, a customer sometimes you just have to let them go you know but you're like once you get your chops around a bone you will not give it up like a dog with a bone and I just yeah tenacity now, people used to call me tenacious I didn't realise that it also kind of means a bit annoying because a dog that doesn't give up is annoying and they as well it's like okay you want to do that it's really you know, very tenacious you want to keep doing it and you want to get your own way but it's a little bit annoying so but that's what I'm like well that's what I used to be like I don't know if I'm like that anymore I yeah I'm not sure but I was not leaving her house I mean, if she'd asked me to leave, of course I'd have left. I'm not saying, like, I'd have stayed there. But I was determined. That would have been a weird court case, wouldn't it? I wanted to help her. I wanted to help save her life. <laughs> Your honour. Um, no, I just... I wouldn't give up. And I tried... Well, everything I knew, including new things that I didn't know. And at the end of it, she said that she was feeling positive, optimistic, almost didn't care that she had to go to the hospital, not worried or anything. And it took me, I think, nearly three hours to get to that point. Like solid three hours in a chair her with a chair, me in a chair, not the same chair, because that would have been weird, it's, um, it's a long time, and we, a little bit of a we had a bit of a cuddle and then we left, I left, and she, again she sent me a text, so she was in hospital for two days, or one and a half days, something like that, went in the morning on Monday and I think she got out like late afternoon Tuesday so it was something like that and I didn't know I didn't hear anything so it's like I didn't really know what was going on and I spoke to her I think she phoned me or I phoned her and she said yeah it's fine I've had a really good laugh I said what she said yeah I had a really good laugh I had, had a lot of fun walking through the door was easy just went in, did what needed to do, and the doctors had never seen me like this before, because she's had a lot of contact with those particular specialists over the last few years. 
and everything's fine and I'm on the I'm on the donor list. It's like wow. Just shows you what you can do when you make stuff up, doesn't it? Blimey. So we were gonna gonna get um gonna we were going to meet up again and maybe once a week leading up to well she never she didn't know when it was gonna be leading up to preparation for her having the op. Um but it happened very, very quickly. And it was in Cambridge. I forget the hospital. It's a really famous, world-famous world hospital. Pat, Patworth, that's it, Patworth. And I visited her. It was on a Sunday, because I was working... I was working Monday, yeah, it's a Saturday that week. So I went and visited her on a Sunday. So I went up to Cambridge... And I think I had a, had a meal in a pub. Never been to Cambridge before. And it was a big park, and it was in the summer as well. There were a lot of people around, and it looks like quite a nice place. And then I got a taxi, I think, to the hospital, to Papworth, and I visited her, and we were like, she was in bed, and I think her daughter was there. But I said, you know, while we're here, why don't I... Because she was in a bit of pain. Uh, she had drugs and everything to help her with that. But I said, well, we'll just do some pain relief. If you want, do a bit of, like, relaxation and stuff. She said, okay, cool. So, and she had this big room all to herself. So, went in there. She, she was there, and I sat by the, the bed. And I started talking to her. And after about a minute, a nurse walked in, speaking really loudly, like three times louder than the average normal voice level. I'm not sure if that's uh, scientifically accurate, but you know, very loud. And I said, we're just trying to do some relaxation. Oh, okay. She walks out. Four minutes later, another person walks in. And then two people walk in. Are you right there? We need to do need to do a blood test. We need to do this. She there was too much going on, so we had to stop. She need she was under quite um, strict monitoring, you know, such a, a big op. So she they were keeping an eye on her pretty much the whole time, checking her blood pressure and uh, whatever, just making sure she's okay, which is good because that's why she was there. But we didn't have any space to sort of to help her, and uh, yeah. So that was. Uh, I won't go into a too more, many more details about that, but that was that was a big a big thing in my life actually, uh, from a hypnosis perspective, from a human perspective as well. And just as I thought, okay, that's not that's gonna. This is it. Everything should be easy sailing now. Because I thought, I don't want to deal with really serious things. Okay, chronic pain. It's very serious for the person dealing with it. But it's different from acute pain. Acute pain is a different, a different beast. Chronic pain is, is something that we don't need. We don't need as long it's it's just to warn us to be careful really. We don't need it. I don't need chronic pain in my lower back to let me know that I've got arthritis or whatever, but so I kind of don't really hold on to it that much. And you can play around with chronic pain, you can play around with it and change the feelings and it's with acute pain it's a different thing um, it can still change it but you need to be careful because it's there for a reason and you need to make sure that the person's okay first 
Because if someone's got appendicitis, then if that pain in their stomach, even after they've had the operation, if it stops them from standing up too quickly and bursting their stitches, then that's a good thing, isn't it? You know, it's a good thing that they've got that, that pain for that period of time. But after three, four weeks, they don't need it anymore. Once the stitches are out, they don't need any of that. I've had, a, I've had my appendix out when I was younger. I've got a lovely story about that. It was a, one of the happiest moments of my life. It was, I think, I always thought it's, it was time away from home. And I was in the children's ward. So I'd been in hospital twice that I know of. One was to have my adenoids removed. That was part of my hearing issues that I had when I was eight. And then when I was 12, I had my appendix removed. They were just, they were basically working their way through the different body parts to remove. They were going to remove my brain, but they couldn't find it. <laughs> so, it was one of my happiest times. I think it might be because I was on morphine. And I was, I didn't realise I was on morphine, but they were giving me painkillers, painkiller drip or whatever. And I just couldn't stop laughing. And it was brilliant. Loved it. Absolutely loved being in hospital. After the operation, not before, but afterwards, once I was kind of on the way back. Um, yeah, so. The good old days. That's the last time I was in hospital, like, to have anything done. Blimey. So I... What else did I... What am I talking oh, talk about myself? Keep talking about myself. There was a reason I mentioned that, and I don't know what it was. What was the reason? I'll talk about chronic pain. Okay. Anyway. I thought, from now on, I'm just going to, you know, just go back to doing what I originally wanted to do. And I was starting to, you know, get a little bit of interest with chronic pain patients. And that was what I was wanting to do. Nothing else. Um, apart from the relaxation groups I started to do. But that was separate. Those are the only two things. And making podcast making like recordings and stuff videos it kind of all kind of started roughly at the same time and then my friend called me she said um, oh it's a wedding to go to we've got a wedding do you want to it's basically it was uh, another lady that was on a massage course that I used to be on back in 2003 and she was getting married to her boyfriend but unfortunately her boyfriend was really really ill so they were getting married like quite quickly so I went along to the wedding I couldn't be bothered to buy a present so what I did is I <laughs> this sounds awful I gave vouchers for some free hypnosis sessions to them okay and it was like I don't know six free hypnosis sessions and that was my present now it's a really in some ways meaningless present from my perspective I can't pretend that I was being wonderful human being because I wasn't I just didn't have anything to give to them and I might not have had any money at the time so I just gave them that so this was in 2006 by this time and because so I'd met her in 2003 and they got married 2006 so I went to the wedding now I went to the the afterbirth, not the afterbirth, the after party of the of the wedding, and 
I'd never met him before, I'd met her and he was a nice bloke but didn't really say anything to each other, didn't really speak. But I gave those vouchers, you know, I thought they'd just be lost and that would be it. You know, I'd made the gesture and, you know, we could all move on with our lives and forget it ever happened. I get a phone call from my friend, not the friend who got married, but my friend. I don't know why, or maybe, maybe it wasn't. I know, I think probably the other one didn't have my number, I don't know. But anyway, I don't even, I forget his name now, Ian, I think it was. Ian Ian wants to um, cash one of those vouchers. I said, what? So this is my friend, my friend's, one of my friend's husband, the one who just got married. He wants to cash, he wants to use one of those free vouchers. I said, they weren't real, you know. They weren't real vouchers, they were just made up, pretend vouchers. Did you not see it was newspaper? It was, it was a newspaper with uh, just ink written on it. You know, it's... it's It was toilet paper. Did you not see it was written on toilet paper? Anyway, she said, the next thing she said sort of changed my mind. I said, no, just uh, make an excuse for me. She said, well, he's in hospital. He had a very, very, I won't go into it, but it was a very serious condition and he had to have some treatment for it. Uh, As serious as you can as serious as it gets basically so I go oh blimey yeah okay so I go along to the hospital and he's in the certain ward where other people also having a similar thing and he was really anxious about having this procedure because he had it done before and he didn't really want to go through it again so I did I did hypnosis. Now, this time, I did it with a lot of noise in the background, like huge amounts of noise. I didn't even know it's possible to do hypnosis with someone when the place is... It's literally like doing it in the middle of a street with traffic and people. And it still worked because he wanted it to work he was focusing on me and he didn't even know who I was really he knew I was friends with his fiance or his new wife but he didn't know me he'd never he'd met me once at his wedding and I wasn't the focus of his attention to be honest I'm sure I should have been but I don't think I was I think he was giving too much attention to her I mean, I was there. Why was he focusing on his wife? Knew what when I was there, but hey. And we did we did about half an hour together, and I couldn't stay for what he had to go be done because it was personal, private, whatever. But he said it really helped. Like it, it made the difference. I was like, wow. And um, I visited him in his house. So I did another voucher and I visited him in his house and did some pain relief and stuff. Uh, So that was like, oh, okay, another serious thing. And I thought, this is it now, surely I can just go back to focusing on what I want to focus on but by this time I was getting people online MySpace telling me we you know the we want relaxation we want sleep sessions we want more of them that's what we want they weren't really interested in the chronic pain recordings so much some people were but the ones that were really uh, doing well, you know, well, well-ish, with the relaxation and the sleep sessions. 
so you know I had to I couldn't ignore that so I kind of catered to what was asked for me from me and then I get a phone call from a person that I did know his friend my friend's boss but I'd met him a few times and his wife was about to go into hospital the following week it wasn't quite as I mean she was going in on Thursday and I think I saw her on the Monday or something and she had to have again a very serious operation a removal of a thing of a part and anyway she she wrote me I've still got her letter Shobna her name was I've still got a letter I've still got all those letters from those days because they were in written form because I sent people I said would you like to let me know how you got on and they did some people didn't I didn't have to ask them they just did anyway and I've still got a little bunch of letters from 2006 blimey I don't know where they are And she said this sort of the same as what the others said. Everything went swimmingly. Really well. And. Yeah. And her husband. He started to come see me. A few months later. And he'd come once a week. And he relaxed so deeply. Sometimes I'd do it in the shop that he worked. Sometimes I'd do it in his house. He'd come around my house or, you know, it just wherever was suitable, really. And he just sunk into the chair. He was, he, he loved it. He, you know, he was probably the most hypnotizable person I think I've ever met. Although I was, I was really just doing relaxation, but he absolutely loved it. I saw him actually at my friend's wedding. This is the friend, I keep saying friend, I'm not, I can't really say their names, but, um, but a different friend's wedding. And he was there. And it's really weird, it just hasn't changed at all. Looks exactly the same. Mind you, it wasn't that long after I'd seen him. I mean, I was living there, so it was probably 2014, 2013. And I hadn't seen him since 2007. It's only six years, isn't it? So it's not a lot. Nice bloke. Gave me a lift back to where I was living from the... Yeah, because I was, I was very drunk, very, very drunk at that wedding. And he gave me a lift. So that, that's kind of part of the origin story. Those few people. And my first real chronic pain client my free service when I visited people in their houses was there it was um, an elderly gentleman he was about 78 this is in 2006 I started seeing him in about April time and how old would he be now? Blimey. 2006, 2016, 20, 3, 4, 5, 8, 8, 9, 8. Blimey. He'd be late 90s. He had like really, really bad arthritis in his legs and everything. So I saw him every week for a 
a few months actually and his condition improved dramatically dramatically and the local newspaper did an article about me and they came around his house and took a picture of him took a picture of me and they basically f she talked about they listened and watched I say her and the photographer watched me do a hypnosis session with him the relaxation session and it was a really really nice bit of um, publicity and terrible picture of me it really was I was bald wearing all white with my big red face it wasn't and my tummy it wasn't a good picture it really wasn't and but you know there you go yeah I had a, a radio a radio channel ask did I have a radio channel I'm losing track of reality I'm pretty sure I did I think I've had three radio interviews in my life one was when I did comedy I was in the independent newspaper in about 2004 what was it 2003 2004 2005 I don't know I think it was 2003 I had a yeah I was there was this, this lady turned up at one of the this it was an open spot night downstairs at the King's Head. There was the venue; it's quite a f it was quite a famous venue. And she came up to me and she said, "I really like what you do. And do you want to be? I want to come and um, I don't know. If she, I think they'd already taken pictures, or she might have said, oh." where you're going to be next and I'll see you there or I don't know something like that and she turned up and took pictures of us and listened to us or you know and she wrote this article about me and another comedian both new you know not particularly doing so well comedians you know quite new now she, there was a, I don't know, I'm, I used to have the paper, it was a black and white picture of me, it was centre pages as well, but uh, I was one side and I think Mike Tyson's was on the other side for some reason, and it was this big picture of me just standing there, I think smoking a cigarette with my long hair. And it was just, it was, a, it was a pretty good picture actually, quite. But the headline, both the inside the paper and on the outside, on the first, the first page, the front page, meet Britain's worst comedian or worst comic. That was like, you know, where they put a little, a little clip on the first page and then go to page 32 or go to the center pages or whatever and then meet meet Britain's worst comedian they weren't talking about me they were talking about the other bloke so she actually said um, Jason's he's, what he's saying is horrible because I used to be quite um, hard hitting, I don't know, quite um, offensive, I guess. Like that's what kind of comedy I used to do when I was 21, 22 years old, 23, 92. And she said, what, he's, what Jason is saying is horrible, but I'm laughing. And it's, but the audience are laughing and so am I 
Now that's that's a good comment, isn't it? Maybe what he's saying is horrible isn't a good comment, but the fact that she's saying the audience are laughing and so am I. That's not saying I'm the worst comedian in, in the world. But then she sort of says quite negative things about the other bloke. It ruined my comedy career, even though I didn't have a comedy career. It just as I was starting to get better at comedy. And I was getting better at it. I was getting some paid gigs, not many, but a few paid gigs. And I became a laughing stock because of that newspaper article because no one read it all they saw was the headline and a picture of me <laughs> that's, that's, that was enough so it's not available though because it was I think it was it was definitely two, 1993 1993 but it was in the independent newspaper but that stuff wasn't online. There was no internet back then, so it's not stored unless they do have some kind of archive. I remember going to the comedy club that I used to hang out, and one of them, I was leaving, and a couple of comedians were shouting, Come in, go, wait, wait, wait. I said, What? The BBC have been trying to contact you. I said, What? He said, yeah, because of your article in The Independent, the BBC have been trying to contact you. They've left a number for you to call. So this was like late at night, so I had to wait till the next day. Here's me thinking, oh, I've got my own TV show. I'm going to be famous. And it wasn't. It was just, uh, it was a radio, a radio channel, radio station wanted to interview me. And... They tried to, I did the interview and it wasn't very good. They tried to goad me to be offensive. And off the stage, I wasn't offensive. I was just an average person, you know, unless someone kind of poked the bear, I, I wasn't, I didn't growl, you know. I just, I saved that for being on stage. Although, this is gig and it's one of my favourite gigs I ever did and it was in the middle of nowhere it was like Hertfordshire and it was like this little village and there was couldn't have been more than maybe 15 20 people in the audience and I was getting paid to do it and everything I was so like didn't care that it was a small audience but they were a really good audience. And I went on. And I just started being myself. One of the first times I ever was able to just be silly. Because I like being silly. I like silliness. I'm not into that um, harsh comedy was what I wanted to try and be. But it wasn't me. If, you, if that makes sense. I wanted to be Sam Kinison. I wanted to be uh, those, you know, Bill Hicks, Andrew Dice Clay, uh, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, you know, hard-hitting, not necessarily offensive, but hard-hitting. And I wasn't really. I can still pull one out of the bag every now and then, but that gig I remember because the silly side of me came out and people were laughing because it almost like it wasn't an act. It was just me being me, just making silly sounds and just, just playing around, just having fun for the hell of it. 
and I got one of the best reviews I've ever had. You know, I've done, I did hundreds of gigs, and the the promoter said they loved you. They loved you, like just even the the bar owner, the pub owner, like loved me. Like everyone loved you. It's like wow. He said, yeah, and I'd never been told that. I'd never been the favourite comedian of the night ever. And I did over 250 performances. I use the word performance very, very loosely. You know, gigs. Gigs, I'd say. I wonder what gigs stands for. I don't know. Stands for gigabyte now, doesn't it? So. Wonder what the time is. I think it might be time to say bye bye. Bye bye. Farewell. Au revoir. Oh, I didn't drink all my tea. So. My my comedy evolved from being it it became more sillier. There was a point where I think I was I was doing I'm trying to say about laughing, I was progressing. But there's there was a lot of closed doors because I closed a lot of clubs. A lot of clubs, like, there were just a pub, a comedy night down a pub that was, like, once a week. A few landlords and landladies, and they just said, no more comedy after I'd been on stage. We're not doing this anymore. It's just, you know, so I had a bit of a reputation. In the early days. And sometimes when things weren't going so well... I'd revert back to that. I mean, I remember 91, my opening line to 250 people or 200 people was, you're all C, U, N. <laughs> you know, that, that was it. I was like, you're all and I expected them to like me after saying that. It's like, I know I was only 20, but blimey. It's, it's weird. So I guess in a way, my life would be broken up into three parts. Two parts. Yeah, two sections really, outside of childhood, I mean, as an adult, two, two parts so far, there was the comedy years, and then there's the hypnosis years. So the comedy years started in 1990, yeah, 1990, because that's when I decided, it was April 1990, I decided I wanted to be a comedian, and I started writing material, preparing for moving to London in 1991, but I did start performing, no, it's not true, I performed in 1990. I went to a, I did a talent contest in the summer 1990 for a sky search for a star and for some reason I didn't get a call back. Never been on stage before, I had no idea what I was doing or why I, well I didn't know why I was doing it but I didn't know, I just didn't know anything. Anyway, so from 1990 to Oh, two thousand 
2008, January two fa- no, January 1998 was my last ever gig. And now I'm making noise everywhere. I'm kicking boxes. But I was still involved with comedy till 2001. And then I still stayed connected to the comedy club in one form or another. for another 10 years so and then I also helped out for a little while on another comedy club that was part of that club in London in 2014 2015 yeah 2015 so but then then there's that I mean my proper full-on connection like full-time not full-time but regular week-in week-out connection to the comedy scene ended in 2001 and then it was like a, a very vague period when I was just working in a call centre and doing various things but doing hypnosis courses and doing massage courses. I didn't even have internet for about two years. A bit like now. <laughs> My internet's going to run out soon. But the... In 2004, I started the pain relief stuff, built a website, and I started to... I started to look to do that. As I said, it took two years before anything happened, but I was giving out leaflets and I said said, I was building the website, I was trying to promote stuff. It just took a while to, to build into anything. And then 2006, so I did some other hypnosis courses in 2005. But 2006 is when it really grew. You know, I was doing lots of different things hypnotically. 2007, I was working part-time. So I was doing more group sessions. I I had more time to spend on making audios and videos and promoting online as well as pretty much for the last 17 years I've spent my weekends doing this and I never day off although I'm not it's not a job it's not a paid job even when I worked full time I was still doing this when I got home you know, the first thing I do in the morning, I turn the computer on to check the stats or to do something, and then the last thing I do at night is a similar kind of thing. So, even now, I wake up in the night to go to the toilet and I check the stats. This is what I do. I've been doing it for seventeen years, eighteen years, eighteen years in or in January. Did you just do a big burp or was it a weird fart? Anyway, I better go because he's now wanting my attention. So, this is just a random chat about nothing really, wasn't it? But, yeah, I just... Thinking about the past and how... The time's gone. And I've been doing this a long, long time. And I think it would be really, really cool. I mean, you think, in four years' time, was it that, 2003? Three years' time, 20 years. 20 years. But, it's weird. Imagine when I've done 50 years. I'd be sitting here, I'd just be dust. <laughs> I remember 
50 years ago. <laughs> Still be doing relaxation sessions. Just relax yourself. <laughs> Finny, come back. Stop, stop hassling me, Finny. 50 years time, blimey. Wow. Anyway, I'm going to go because the little one wants my attention and to be fair, oh, wow. he farted earlier under the table and it was the smelly, smelly fart, proper smelly one. And he just laid there on his, on his stomach. He always faces his bum towards me for some reason, I don't know why. He didn't, he didn't move. He, he almost like he didn't know it had happened. I didn't hear it, but I did smell it. Oh, he, he wants my attention now. Okay, take care. Remember to be kind to yourself because you deserve to be happy. Lots of love. Bye.